Advanced Principles Podcast, or APP, was created to be an outlet for like-minded individuals to share in the broader conversations on leadership, retail market updates, and incredible personal success stories. On APP, you will hear a collection of stories from the titans of the retail industry, as well as thought and practice leaders covering the spectrum of the economy. Please click the subscribe button and look for the newest episodes to be released. And then this epiphany hits as you're going out from administrator to administrator. Every night and every weekend in my garage with body shop parts. Nothing else. Let's just get into it and get after it. And being able to see behind the scenes of the administrator and the agent and the dealer. Steve Apicella is the CEO and founder of Strategic DX. They have innovated a technology platform called Your Dealer Experience to fill a massive post-sales dealer-to-customer, customer-to-F&I administrator digital vacancy that's been long overdue in our industry. Okay, so welcome Steve Apicella from Your Dealer Experience and Strategic DX. Thank you so much for being our guest on App today. Absolutely, and, and really grateful to have the opportunity to speak with you. I'm a fan of your podcast. Uh, you've had some great ones in the past. Anybody who hasn't seen them previously, go into that library because there's a lot of good content sitting out there. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. So there's going to be a lot to unpack today, not only your personal journey and uh, the components that I know about it and everything that I don't know about it, but also um, what got you on the charge that you're on today to really transform the life cycle and the journey that the customer is on along with the dealer attachment. Um, so if nothing else, let's just get into it and get after it. Sounds good. Sounds good. good. So let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, I've kind of been through, you've, you've been through a couple of the podcasts. No one grows up wanting to be in the automotive industry or very few people. So, you know, let's just kind of start there. How did you get into the automotive industry? I know it's a little different journey than people uh, ended up on the sales floor or the retail outlet, but I think people will be interested to hear your background. You know, I love the topic because for most people, you know, the pathway to success is not a straight line. It's a squiggly line. I'm one of those guys for sure. Um, my early part of my adult life, I was recruited by a company called Dayton Hudson, which at the time out of Minneapolis, Minnesota was the parent company to Target. Mm -hmm. And back in the early 90s there, they were just getting ready to expand Target uh, throughout the United States. And I got to be a part of that team uh, that helped contribute to that. And very blessed in so many ways at that point in my life. I, I felt like I landed this great job with this great company. I was excited about what was next. Um, at the time I had just um, graduated and I have what is now my beautiful wife for over 30 years and just bought a house. And I was fortunate enough that mom and dad paid for my academic pursuit. So I was sitting in a pretty good spot. And so one of the first things I did was I bought a car and like a lot of people, I was excited and I was had it making a good living and why not? So I had this great car that I absolutely loved. I wish I had it today, to be frank. Um, and I was at one of these Target locations and I got a dent in my car. Um, it was a location that wasn't even open yet. They just unloaded the shopping carts and one got away and, and T-boned my car. And as a young man with this new car, I was beside myself. I mean, I couldn't, you know, this, I love this car and I got this dent. So I took it to a local body shop that told me that they're going to weld a stud to it and pull it out and then grind the stud off. 
and bond to it and repaint it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I, you know, no, <laughs> I want a new door. I want a new door. Yes. Um, and after John with this guy, and I'm sure with his experience, he was looking at me like, you know, hey, kid, this is the way we do it, you know. Um, finally, was able to convince him or he offered a solution that he knew this guy that back then it was called paint-free dent repair and that he could call him in and I could meet him and see what he can do. So I met the guy a week later. And this is in the days where, you know, these, these paint-free dent guys were trying to put curtains around what they were doing so that nobody could see their proprietary process. And it was really, really early onset of paintless, what we now call paintless dent repair. Um, and I watched this guy attempt to push out the dent. You know, he put a wedge in the, the it was in the door, put a wedge uh, in where the window's at with the window rolled down and a little sheet protector in there and tried to push out this dent. And when I was watching him, there was just something sparking in my mind, like, man, this is cool. Like, you know, what a cool process. Cause there's like, I'm sure there's a lot of people just like me that don't want traditional body work done for a dent, you know, a simple mm -hmm. shopping cart dent. And he ended up wrecking the door. He did a terrible job, right? And the car <laughs> had to go through body work anyway. But Ryan, I don't know what you call it, entrepreneurial spirit or what, but there was something I could not let go of. Like, I just kept thinking, if you could do that well, that could be a great business. So this is one of those many crossroads that happens in our life, right? They, they happen all the time, but a lot of times we don't recognize them. And for me, you know, as a young man, recently graduated, married, great job, I find myself every night and every weekend in my garage with body shop parts and tools that I created myself through a machine shop to learn how to be a dent guy. Hmm. And there's a lot of other things in the young 20s that I could have been doing that would have been a lot more fun. But um, I was I was obsessed about learning about it and never with the intention to be a dent guy for the rest of my life. But with the intention to learn this process. Now, remember, back in the early 90s, there's no instruction book. There's no, no YouTube. Nothing. There's no, there's no nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. I just literally had to figure this thing out and only based upon what I witnessed in a few minutes. Um, and it took me, you know, today a dent guy can be trained in 30 days. It took me a year. Wow. Uh, to figure out how to do this thing. And I'm taught when I say every night and every weekend, I'm not exaggerating. Wow. I, I didn't, I work my daytime job and then at night, focused on how to learn this discipline. And when I finally learned it, the, the brief but funny story was, it was late one night. And I don't know if you've ever seen one of those 3D photos where it just looks like dots. And if you stare at it long enough, all of a sudden- Oh yeah, absolutely. Something comes into focus, right? Yeah. Well, for me, that's kind of what happens to a dent guy is you learn how to read the panel. And it's more of a vision thing and how the light's reflecting off and what you can see. And you can actually be able to see your tool behind the panel and where you're at. And for me, one night, it just came into focus. And I could see every ridge and every valley in the panel so clearly. And I pushed this dent out, and I took a hammer, and I banged another one in, and I pushed it out, and I'm like, I got it. Um, went to bed that night, and like 3 o'clock in the morning, woke up in a panic. Like, I hope that wasn't a one-time thing. So, I, you know, 
in my sleeping <laughs> clothes, ran down to the garage and banged another dent in just to make sure mentally I knew that I could do it. Wow. So then what happened from there was, remember, I'm still working my daytime. I had a great daytime job. I still mean, with Dayton Hudson Target. Still with, still with them, yeah. Okay. Uh, and helping this launch. And and nights and weekends, I started going out to local car dealerships. At this point in my life, I lived my entire, I was born, lived my youth and, and adult life to that point in Chicago area. So it's, you know, there's plenty of car dealers um, in the Chicagoland area. Oh, yeah. So I started going out dealer to dealer to show off this new skill that I have learned. Uh, and now I want to learn the next part of it. Like, okay, how do we turn this into a reality? Mm -hmm. And what was remarkable after a year of nights and weekend sacrifice, I was going to dealers like, you know, explaining, hey, I can take the dents out of your cars by taking the used cars. I can take the dents out by taking them out. The cars will be in better condition. You can sell them for more money. Um, here's how much it costs. And the first few dealers I went to, it was sobering. Um, they're like, Steve, these are used cars. They have dents. <laughs> <laughs> Why would we fix them? Why, why would we fix them? Right. And, you know, I remember going home those first few nights after you know really long days with Dayton Hudson and then trying to do this at night. And I'm like, did I just waste uh, a year of my life? You know. Uh, and then I, uh, you know, I think every great story, there's a mentor somewhere along there, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Um, and I went into this dealership in Chicago in the Elmhurst suburb area and uh, went up to another used car manager, gave my same pitch. He gave me the same kind of answer. And as I'm walking out, um, a gentleman tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, kid, I like what you're, you're doing here. Come on into my office. I didn't realize at that point who he was. And he talked with me and had me re-explain the proposition. He goes, okay, I like what you're doing. I have you know, this many number of rooftops. I'd like to do it at each one. And he marched me back out to the used car manager and said, this is Steve, the dent guy, and he's going to start fixing our used cars. You know, Whatever the used car manager said at that point didn't matter. Didn't matter one bit. This was the dealer principal that took me under his wow. wing. And his name, he's, he's since passed. He was a great guy to me. Larry Roche was his name on the Larry Roche group and um, eternally grateful to him for that. Um, he took a chance on me. Yeah. And so I learned how to, you know, to do the discipline and learn how to sell it. And actually by Larry Roche doing it, he started to promote it. Like our used cars are cleaner and better. Wow. Well, that started to create the demand at the adjacent mm -hmm. dealers, yep. which created more accounts for me and more business for me. Um, so I started to do this again, never with the intention of being a technician long-term, but I, I, I didn't feel like I could lead it if I didn't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. yep. um, and I think that is a mistake a lot with entrepreneurs that you can't just hope that you got the concept right. You know, do you really understand it and can you really deliver it? Yep. Um, and that is a service guy's mentality. Um, you don't get paid unless you do it successfully. Mm -hmm. You don't get paid for missteps. You don't get paid for misfires. You get paid for doing it right. And so I, you know, I really cherish that and the relationship that I built with the dealers. And then over the next, you know, decade, I built this network of technicians throughout the United States. 
and servicing car dealerships and servicing car washes and parking garages uh, where these touch points were at to be able to use paintless dent repair to repair them. And at, you know, the longer I got into that decade, the more or the less frequent I was actually pushing out dents, but I got to be the overflow guy. Mm. So there mm -hmm. were times where, you know, you, when you build a service company, you don't build it by saying no. Right. Uh, you build it by saying yes. Right. So mm -hmm. there were times where the, a technician wasn't available where I would grab my tools. You know, we had a, a old gun case is how we had wow. to throw it in a truck and then drive out and do a job. So one day, this is again, a Larry Roche story. Um, I'm, I got a call from Mr. Roche. And at this point, after a decade, the man was so kind to me and my family, you know, we're invited to celebration parties at his house and wow. this guy really really took me under his wing and he called me one day and he said hey steve come on in i want to review something with you and i was nervous like you get called into the boss's office like what did we do wrong? <laughs> right i'm calling my guys up that were at that point servicing the store like did we do anything here what you know what do i need to be prepared for what i didn't know is earlier that day uh, a, a general agent walked into mr roche's office and proposed a paintless dent repair warranty. This is like 2001. Okay. It's when, you know, what we call ancillary products say, it's when they really were starting to be explored mm -hmm. in the early 2000s. And the gentleman who pitched it, pitched the benefit of everybody gets dense, everybody can relate to this. It's not if, but how often. But what Mr. Roche did, because he was an excellent dealer principal, is he said, okay, I get the value proposition. I know I can sell it. Who's going to service it? How are you going to take care of my customer? And the agent had no answer for that. Oh, wow. Like, you know, it, it, they just call 1-800 number and somebody gets sent out and, and you don't have to worry about that. And his response was, I do have to worry about that. Wow, These great are my answer. Customers, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he basically pushed the pitch kit back to him and said, hey, when you figured that part out, give me a call. Now, Mr. Roche liked the idea of this so much that he knew he could sell it and do well with it. So he called me in his office and he said, all right, here's the deal. Here's the guy's card. If you can be the repair portion of this warranty, um, I'll do this and we'll sell the hell out of it. Wow. So I called up the administrator. I won't say who it was because yep. the, the ultimate experience, as I'll explain here, wasn't flattering. Um, but they were very happy when I was the connection to getting this dealer group. Yeah, like, right. Hey, I'll be the dent guy. And if I'm the dent guy, they'll sell your product. And the administrator's response was, okay, poof, you're the dent guy. <laughs> <laughs> your name's you're on it. the list. <laughs> yeah, yep, absolutely. You win. Yeah, you're it. Um, and what Mr. Roche did, which was really innovative, and Ryan, in your position, you'll appreciate this. Um, back in 2001, at the infancy of these ancillary products, here's was his approach. Every customer got a one-year version of the DEN program, every single one. So, so ahead of the time. Oh, my God. So this yes. guy was selling like 900 policies a month, right, wow. through his dealer group. At least one-year version. And then he was as a differentiator for his store. And then he was upselling to a three, four, five-year plan. Um in the finance environment yep. and doing exceptionally well at getting those upsets. Yep. He was not knocking out of the park. Wow. So the amount of time it took me to, you know, 
be exposed to my portion of it, which, you know, the, when I was asking questions, the administrator, like, how does this work? Like, you know, when, when am I going to get a claim? How are you going to send it to me? What's the process? Well, back in 2001, they were just figuring it out. And this is today that I won't say again, the name, but this is a big marquee administrator. Wow. Right? And they didn't really have a process. Like, you know, we're going to, when we get the claim, we'll fax it to you. So we would get them via the thermal fax roll. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, and when I first started to receive these, you remember if every customer gets it, and again, the frequency of dents, it's going to happen. Um, it didn't take me long to start getting claims. Yeah. And again, not just for Chicago, but wherever these customers may be at that point, because the promise wasn't, you know, just in the Chicago land area, it's wherever, right? right? So we had to be prepared and we were because we had grown this footprint and we could do it. Wow. Um, when we received these faxes, the first thing, which was obvious, two things. One is the data that was sent to us by the administrator was anemic, to say the least. There were times we get claims without phone numbers. Oh, wow. And, you know, the thought, like, we're, okay, what are we supposed to do with that? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Where do we go? Yeah, so we right. had to call them back and be like, hey, can we? and again, the, the excuse was always, well, that's what was on the contract. So, therefore, that's what you got on the claim details. Which again, obviously a missing step in the administration of it. Mm -hmm. But what was even worse from a technical standpoint is when I would see a description of damage and the damage would be dent on the right front quarter panel. Now to some that might sound, okay, that, okay, that sounds like a panel, it sounds like a location, but to a dent guy, technically that's incorrect. The quarter panel's on the back of the car. Fender's <laughs> on the front of the car, right? There, there is no front quarter panel for yep. car. You, When you talk about a fender or quarter panel, you never have to preface it with front or back. Right. It would only be left or right, and there is no other description needed, right? <laughs> so we would get these things, and the vernacular would be wrong. Um, the other thing which I railed on, it still exists today, but I really railed on as a technician when I first saw the brochures that were being handed out, is there were you, and they still do it today, and it's a mistake. But the way administrators often do this is you just copy whatever the predecessor did. You copy and paste it. Absolutely. Now we're in the business, right? So there's a term with PDR service contracts that is ding and dent. This is a ridiculous term because it, it makes it ambiguous. Mm -hmm. um, what's your definition of a ding and what's your definition of a dent? You know, totally subjective, all over the board. It's similar to uh, paint and interior environmental programs. To me, it's like nails on a chalkboard too. When I see the term rip and tear. What does that mean? The difference between those two. <laughs> right. Explain that to me, right? Yep, yep, absolutely. <laughs> well, we hear rip and tear all the time and mm -hmm. we hear ding and dent all the time. It actually creates a problem, which is what I'll illustrate here. So we start getting these claims and we contact customers. The day that we got the facts, um, the customer's first thing would say is, hey, I filed this claim three days ago. Where you been? I'd be like, oh, wow. I, you know, I don't know. We get, we, we received the information. We're the dent guy. We, we received it today. And then we would go out to the customer's home or place of business. And this, the, the success rate of removing a dent was terrible because what was reported and what was actually there was not the same thing. Wow. So using the, the, the right front quarter panel, <laughs> example, 
Um, a lot of times we'd show up and we'd go, we'd assume, okay, when it's right front quarter pillars talking about the fender, we'd go to the fender and look at the fender and be like, there's nothing here. Right. And then you start exploring around the car. Like, what were they talking about? Mm-hmm. And then we'd get an administrator on the phone and be like, all right, I'm looking at the right fender. Um, what am I looking for? And if we're lucky enough to have the interaction with the customer, because sometimes we'd go to their home or place of business, but sometimes we'd be at the dealer where the car was just dropped off. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where the, the description of ding and dent and the ambiguous nature of it was problematic because a lot of times it was a scratch or a chip that the customer interpreted as a ding in their car. Hmm. Now, what had happened, and here's where it all came to a head. Remember, I'm an overflow guy as an owner of this company at this point. And um, I, we had a claim that came through. It's in January, Chicago. Oh. You know the deal. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah. It is what it is. So um, in Skokie, Illinois, which is just outside of O'Hare Airport. And overflow, I'm the guy to go do this, right? On this terrible day, right? So I show up. And I'll paint a picture. I pull into the driveway. And there's two Chicago guys in January, and it's sleeting outside. They're oh. sitting in lawn chairs next to the driveway <laughs> with the hats on, with the flaps over the ears. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And when I get out of my truck, the guy comes up to me enthusiastically and says, I can't wait to see how you're going to do this in my driveway. Oh, wow. I thought, oh, boy, here we go. (laughs) So he takes me over to his vehicle that had been sideswiped by a snowplow. And, you know, I'm like, sir, I really apologize. I can see that you're you and your it was his neighbor that was with him um, are here to really see something magical occur. (laughs) Uh, That would have been magical. Yeah, but it's not going to occur today. A couple of things. This is a body shop repair. You got to take that. This car has got to be reworked. And two, unfortunately, this is not covered under your warranty. Now, Chicago guys, much like New York guys, when put in the wrong position, will become very blunt. Mm-hmm. So he went from being very enthusiastic to very direct. And he said, wait a minute, I got this service contract. They said, if I got a dent, you would fix it. I called in and got a claim approved. I scheduled an appointment with with you. You're here now. And now you're telling me that it's not covered? I have one question for you. And I'll leave out the expletive, but um, what are you doing here? (laughs) Now, the truth is, I'm thinking the same thing at that point. Like, what am I doing here? Right. Mm-hmm. And when you see that kind of elation by the customer and then pure dissatisfaction by the customer, something needs to be challenged. Um, and I'm the kind of guy that, you know, there's two things that have always fueled me. I am a Midwesterner uh, born, right? So mm-hmm. nature is to help and to be a part of the solution and not part of the problem. Yep. Um, so, you know, I went back to the administrator because the frequency of the errors were just way too much. And from an economical standpoint, when you're the vendor and you don't fix something, irregardless if the data was bad or not, you don't get paid. Right. This is a total time suck, right? Mm -hmm. And then that coupled with the pure dissatisfaction by the customer, 
it couldn't be left unsaid. So I made an appointment with the administrator, flew to their office, explained it. And again, the response I got fired a different thing, which is I'm Italian, right? And the response I got was, <laughs> Steve, you're the dent guy, we're the administrator, let us administer, you fix cars. Oh boy. That didn't sit well with me. No, I can um, imagine. What made it worse was they said, listen, if you don't like it, we'll find another dent guy just like you. Oh boy. Now what many people should understand is it's not the process that makes PDR great, it's the hands in which do the process that makes it great or not. It's a non-licensed trade. So just because you call yourself dent guy doesn't mean you're a good one. Mm -hmm. Um, so my response was, fine, go find another dent guy, right? Wow. I had a commitment, though, that I made to Mr. Roche. I went back to his office when I came back to Chicago. I said, Mr. Roche, I know you like selling this program, but I don't like the way it's being serviced, and I'm no longer going to be the service entity. He said, Steve, I'm glad you came and talked to me. We'll stop selling it immediately. Wow. One day later, I got a call from the same administrator who told me, you're just a dent guy, I'll find another guy just like you. And he called me up and he's like, hey, buddy, I think we got off on the wrong foot. <laughs> and I, you know, Ryan, I knew that the intention wasn't to do it the right way. The intention was to turn the business back on that had been turned off. Yep. Um, but that changed. There was another crossroads for me. Yeah. Um, I really saw this as an op another opportunity. And... I started to work with all the, because I at this point, I started working with a lot of third-party administrators because I was a plug-and-play solution. And at this point, how big was your network of uh, dent guys around the country? 600, 600 technicians. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, huge operation. Huge, yeah. And again, with the, with the credibility of you don't want a guy to do this work, you want the guy to do the work. Yep. Um, right. The right person to do it, because at the end of the day, in truth, um, the most valuable part of offering these the, these revenue rich ancillary products is fulfilling the contractual obligation at the end. And the debt is not the least important part. In my opinion, they may be the most important part of that transaction. Yeah. So who does the work matters? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I went on this crusade. Um, and for about the next 10 years. And as a re and with no ideal other than to contribute, um, to start to go to these third-party administrators and meet with them and hopefully inspire them how to do it the right way. Yep. And I made a lot of great relationships. And actually one of them said, hey, listen, the kind of information that you're delivering and the kind of transformation you're making, you should be a consultant. You know, you shouldn't be doing this for free. So, you know, I went for a number of years being a consultant and, and did very well financially with that. And I believe um, made a very strong impact. But the part that was still missing, Ryan, was refining the old system to accommodate the new products. Mm -hmm. so one of the things I feel is, again, still a challenge for the industry is, um, you know, F&I, for example, was built around 
mechanical service contracts, mm -hmm. all the mechanisms, all the support, everything, and then introduce these other products, you can't apply the same principles to them. They're right. different. Yeah, and, very different. But the truth is the way it's handled is it's just manipulated versions of how a mechanical service contract works. The difference is for mechanical, it's natural. The, the, the dealer's got a room full of mechanics waiting to fix the next car. But the dent guy is not usually standing there waiting to fix the next car, the alley wheel guy or the windshield or whoever. Yeah, yeah. After doing that for about 10 years, um, even though I was happy with the livelihood from it, and I was happy with the impact I was making, and I was absolutely grateful for the education that I received during that. Again, a student of the industry. Right? Yeah. And, and being able to see behind the scenes of the administrator and the agent and the dealer um, was a profoundly positive education for me. But at the end of that 10 years of that segment of my life, um, they were, you know, people were just refining the old solutions and not mm -hmm. really creating what's next. Yeah. I knew technology could solve a lot of these things that I've identified in this. Uh, I know I've done a bad job here. This is way more than a minute and a half, right? But, <laughs> um, really, really, um, the disconnection of what the customer understood about what they purchased, how to engage in service, the data that came from that, and the, the poor customer satisfaction at the end. I knew a lot of this could be solved by the right technology. Yeah. And what year roughly was this then? So that after the, after you've gone then, through the consulting and, and seeing the, this kind of come like to life. 2015 ish. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So technology is a real thing in our day-to-day -day lives at that point. Well, it's a real thing in our day-to-day -day lives outside the automotive. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> which is the point I was going to make is, right. you know, the iPhone came out in 2006, which as we were talking before we jumped on here, kind of really revolutionized the lifestyle people were living. Um, so you're, you're nine years past that. So it's 2015. So you see how the world can operate outside of the auto industry and then this epiphany hits as you're going out from administrator to administrator um, and, and kind of like you said, that that second main crossroad have, has impacted your life. Hey everybody, this is Michael from ABS. The entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well inside Steve, isn't it? I know his story filled up most of the time, but it was too interesting to cut out any parts. Next week, we get into the discussion of technology. For all the latest episodes, you can find app on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and our website. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button.